G'day mate, 40 here, back at UCLA. My iPhone just cut off on my last stream because the sun was bearing directly on it. So iPhones overheat really easily when you're live streaming and if they're getting direct sunlight, you can go about 10 minutes max before the iPhone's just gonna do an automatic hot temperature shutdown. So I was just musing on Australia getting their first prime minister who doesn't have an Anglo-Saxon or a Celtic name. And so the new Prime Minister, the 31st Prime Minister of Australia, Anthony Albanese, all right, is obviously of Italian heritage. So I didn't know, don't think I knew any Italians growing up. But the only thing I knew about Italians, and I didn't even think about this, is that there are a whole bunch of slurs for them. So I think WAP and, and Dago. Like, don't be a Dago, or you're dressing like a Dago. And I never really thought about any Italian connection, but God forbid, I just grew up using all these different slurs. And uh, thank God there's probably less of that in Australia now. So our, our first, first Prime Minister without an Anglo-Saxon or a, a Celtic name. So I'm listening to Tarbus Hobbes' Leviathan and some very arresting passages. It's beautifully written. This book was published in 1651. And I just listened to a, this passage that said that uh, when all men have rights to all things, that necessarily leads to war. And uh, Thomas Hobbes is the most important political theorist who's ever written in the English language. And he's been called like the, the, the father of totalitarianism or a total government. And so his, his thesis is that in the state of nature, right, all men have all rights to all things that they can get. That in the state of nature, you, you take everything you can get because the more you take, the safer you'll get. And I'm just thinking about America since the 1960s and the civil rights revolution. Like we've, we've, from, from a liberal conception, we've had these ever increasing, ever evolving rights Right? And so with this explosion of rights, we've had this explosion in litigation. And so can you get an explosion in rights without an explosion in litigation? Probably the, the litigation explosion, uh, probably far more intense in the United States than in England or Australia. Have I even read Loki? No, but I'm watching The Northman on uh, Richard Spencer's recommendation. So uh, compelling, but just two viewing sessions so far I've only gotten through 20 minutes because I've been getting to it at the end of the day and then I'm realizing this is way too intense to take in at the end of the day let me watch Fresh Meat instead which is a four season British comedy about kids at university in central central England or northern England Fresh Meat highly recommended after you watch Peep Show another British TV comedy but uh yeah, Hobbes says, in the state of nature, life is solitary, nasty, brutish, and short, which seems to be a good description of the direction of America since the Civil Rights Revolution in the 1960s. So I was just listening to Ezra Klein of the New York Times interview Patrick Deneen, and you think you enjoy a solitary life. You don't really you have intimations that there's an ordinary world out there that you have yet to find. And you'll one day find that ordinary world. 
of human connection and you'll start living the life of Duran Duran. But uh, Ezra Klein was saying to Patrick Deneen, who's this right-wing, fairly angry right-wing professor of the classics, I believe, at Notre Dame University. And Ezra Klein keeps saying to him, I don't know what you're so angry about. And what, which rights do you want to restrict? Like, where do you think Americans have too much freedom? So if you're watching this stream, you probably don't think that Americans suffer from an excess of freedom. And you probably don't think that the civil rights revolution gave us more freedom. But from the liberal perspective, America is always evolving towards an increasingly free place where we have more and more rights and we have more and more equity. Yeah, all the kids walking by 40 think he's some based high IQ professor. <laughs> so there's some sort of graduation going on today and uh, UCLA has like ethnic graduations. Like black students have their own graduation, like certain Asian students seem to have their own graduation, uh, Latino students have their own graduation. Uh, so they're like all these different racial types of, of graduation at UCLA. Uh, probably reflecting different uh, different levels of academic accomplishment and, and different majors. So the the only stylistic difference that I, I see walking around separate but equal graduations. Yeah, the only stylistic difference that I see between now walking around UCLA in 1988 is uh, a lot more cell phones. But people are very polite here. Like I don't hear people carrying on really loud uh, cell phone conversations. A lot of the Asian students wearing masks. I remember when I went here in 1988, I, I learned that UCLA stood for United Caucasians Lost Among Asians. So I think when I was here in 1988, there were twice as many Asians as, as there were Caucasians. And I remember there was very dramatic affirmative action differences. So pretty much all the all the uh, the white and Asian students were getting into UCLA with like a 4.3 GPA because they'd taken honors classes or a 4.2. And then the the many of the black and Latino students that I, I met at UCLA, they, they got in with like a 3.0. And then they would generally take fairly soft majors like uh, black studies or communication. So there was very dramatic affirmative action differences in the late 1980s and California got rid of affirmative action. And, uh, and, now, and now it's coming back. So Hobbes, it's interesting, in, in Leviathan, he makes this, this case for censorship. So he, he says that the sovereign should have the right to regulate opinion, meaning to regulate what's, what's possible to discuss publicly. And so he wanted the sovereign to regulate what could be said in church, what could be said publicly, and what could be published. Yeah, they want, want us to pay for their ethnic studies and women history degrees by giving money to the banks. Yeah, this, this, this loan forgiveness program just seems insane. Like, why reward people for their bad decisions? I don't know about you, but I walked, worked my way through college. Like, I would sometimes work 100-hour weeks. Like, I would work from you know, 5 a.m. to 10 p.m. sometimes, working construction. And so I, I developed about $40,000 in savings while I was going through college. And I started off at 
took a year off after high school and worked and saved about $16,000 from doing that. And then I worked construction during community college and uh, saved another $25,000, uh, invested in Fidelity Magellan Mutual Fund, uh, pulled it out before the big, big crash in 1987. So I had over $40,000 in savings. And so this idea of just learn forgiveness just seems, seems crazy. Like, why, why reward people for making bad decisions? And for probably what, at least half of college students going to college is a bad decision. Uh, they'd be far better off learning the trades. Now in Germany, learning a trade is much more honored. And learning in a, a trade in Australia is much more honored. So in Australia, traditionally, only about 5% of students have gone on to university. So people weren't expected to go to college in Australia. Uh, most kids dropped out of high school in 10th grade and then got an apprenticeship. And that was an honored and respectable way to go. It's the same in Europe, same in Australia. It's only in America there's this crazy idea that everyone should go to college. Like Americans have this veneration of education, which is you know, far out of touch with reality. Yeah, Create Tomorrow will hazard all these new students picking college courses. They think it's free. And yeah, you, you make bad decisions when you don't hold people accountable for the consequences of what they're doing. So, you know, why reward those making reckless decisions? like taking on hundreds of thousands of dollars in, in student loans. Right I, I carried over $50,000 in credit card debt for, for about eight years. Right? And it never, never occurred to me to uh, declare bankruptcy. Like a lot of people were telling me, oh, just declare bankruptcy. It never occurred to me to do that. College is supposed to be for engineering or debating and bouncing ideas off each other because become limited in speech too. So I knew that I'd be able to work, work my way out of my debt, and I did. I failed out of college, became suicidally depressed, and I joined a trade union, and it put my life on a good solid path, says Alexander. Yeah. So the trades in America, they don't get nearly the honor and respect that they do in Australia, but in Australia, tradies, business is booming. I mean, they earn way over six figures. I mean, tradies do, doing really well in Australia and have done so for decades. So, yeah, anyway, Ezra Klein's talking to Patrick Deneen's like, which freedoms do you, do you want to restrict so that people make more, more traditional choices? And uh, a real man works with his hands, says, Elliot, I don't venerate either working with your hands or working with a computer. I don't think either is really better. I declared bankruptcy on my credit cards five years ago, the best decision I could do. I have more maximum credit available, higher score and less debt. Maybe, I think it's bad for your soul. How much credit card debt did you have when you, when you declared bankruptcy? So I, I was just raised with the ethos that you, you pay your debts. So it, it was never, never an option that I took seriously. And uh, eventually I just knuckled down, took extra work, working about uh, 60 hours a week. 18,000? Dude, you declared bankruptcy on 18,000? I carried over 50,000 for about eight years. And then I started working 40 to 60 hours a week and uh, paid it all off in about two years. So once I knuckled down and got serious, 
then, uh, then I started making twice as much money per hour. I went from about 18 an hour to 35 an hour. And then I went from working 20 to 30 hours a week to working 40 to 60 hours a week, all with the inspiration of uh, uh, Trump did it, he's doing fine. I don't think Trump has ever declared personal bankruptcy. He declared bankruptcy on his businesses. Nick Fuentes has been captured on video disparaging people who work construction. Yeah, this reinforces how out of touch he is. Yeah, it's stupid to disparage people who work construction or work with their hands. Like, honorable work is such a beautiful thing. It's, it's about the most ennobling thing you can do, is to do an honest day's work. Like when I, I worked landscaping, when I did a good job, when I put in the irrigation pipe correctly, when I wired everything down correctly, the bank screwed me with 24% loans, kept upping my credit limits when I was a teenager. They were predators. No, they weren't predators. I couldn't get out. Yeah, you could have worked your way out. The banks weren't predators. If you're going to say that the banks were predators, then you're saying that you're not someone who is responsible for his behavior. I paid them enough in interest. So Ezra Klein saying, Patrick Denis, what, you know, what freedoms do you, do you want to restrict in America? And uh, that's not how those of us on the right, we want people to have, have the freedom of association, freedom of who they hire. Mango Jim says, total disaster down under Labor One, Australia's going to become dysfunctional. Labor One by a very tiny, tiny, tiny a year of manual labor should be a predicate for applying for a student. I don't agree with that either. I don't think there's anything inherently more ennobling about manual labor compared to uh, white collar labor. Like all honorable legal work is, is honorable and is good for you and is ennobling. So Australia is not moving left. Australia's uh, got the most narrow coalition for the Labor Party. Australia has been kind of mirroring the American election results. So in 2016, manual labor puts you in touch with reality. So does white collar labor, right? You can, you can do, yeah, labor won with only 31% of the primary vote. Look, are you worried about monkeypox? It's mostly in men that have, yeah, I noticed that it's monkeypox is mainly in saunas. In other words, uh, gay bathhouses. So that's another result when you expand rights so that there's no, no longer any stigma attached to massive amounts of, uh, of gay promiscuity and to gay bathhouses and to the, the gay hookup scene. When, when the stigma was removed in the 1960s and 70s, then you had an explosion of, of gay promiscuity and with it you got AIDS and all sorts of other nasty diseases. Careful touching door handles in California. No, you, you don't. You don't get these nasty diseases from touching door handles. You have to have unprotected anal sex with dudes, guy, or exchange intravenous needles. I, I don't plan to do that. So Australia is following America's political lead. So Trump won a surprising victory, populist victory, among the working class in 2016. Then Scott Morrison and the Conservative Coalition won a surprising, shocking victory in 2019. Then 2020, Joe Biden just squeaked by with a much narrower uh, victory margin than was predicted by the polls. Now, uh, Anthony Albanese and the Labour Party in Australia squeaked in much more narrow victory.
victory than was predicted by the polls. I'm not even sure Labour is going to have a majority government. They're not going to be. I can't imagine they're going to be able to pass anything significant. I'll be doing my 20th consecutive day of sensory deprivation, says Elliot. So. Joe Biden hasn't been able to pass any significant legislation. I don't think Anthony Albanese will too. So there's a possibility that Albanese shows himself to be an effective prime minister and then will become more popular. But the odds are that Australia is heading into a recession and the government is going to cop it. I don't expect that Albanese is going to be any more successful than Joe Biden at making any important legislative accomplishments. I, I just just don't see it. So I think the coalition will rebound, the Conservative coalition in Australia will rebound under Peter Dutton. It's a majority government, 76 in the lower house. Labor's got 76 because when I checked, when I checked about three hours ago, Labor was only on 72 seats. So even if they're, they're on 76, yeah, they can form a government. But uh, it will be very, very narrow. So they'll also have to depend on the cooperation of independents and Greens to pass anything through the U.S. through the Senate. So the one thing that Australia copied the, the U.S. government system is that they have a Senate that must that must approve and pass, you know, all, all legislation, including a, a budget. So yeah, liberals think that. No, this is UCLA, mate, hanging out on Bruin Walk. So liberals think they're ever-increasing freedom, but from a non-liberal perspective, I, I experienced, generally speaking, a considerable reduction in freedom since the 1960s. So you have less freedom of association, less freedom in who you can rent to, uh, less freedom in who you can employ. So there's less public trust, there's less social capital. And so people are retreating more from other people. They're participating in the wider society less. So it's not like you can ever increase rights for one particular group without taking rights away from other groups. You increase rights for renters. You decrease rights for owners, right? You f forgive loans, all right? You are saying that those who didn't take out loans are suckers. So I would like to see a return to the original U.S. Constitution, like prior to the 1965 uh, Voting Rights Act, when people could hire who they wanted, who they could rent who they wanted. They had more freedom of speech, right? I didn't vote for Joe Biden. I just never thought that Joe Biden was going to be a disaster. I didn't think Joe Biden was going to be a disaster. I don't think he's been a disaster. He's not been able to pass anything. Right? He, has, he has no margin for error. He's not able to pass any legislation. And uh, Anthony Albanese, the new Australian Prime Minister, I, I don't expect that he's going to have any ability to pass anything. So I'm reading Hobbes' Leviathan, and he talks about that if you control people's opinions, you can control their behavior. And so I thought Biden was going to be boring business as usual. I think that's what he has been. Like there's much less, I think, interest in politics now com compared to when Trump was running. Like cable news ratings are way down. 
So, so Biden is, is fairly boring. But Hobbes claims that if you control people's opinions, that you can control their action. And I, I don't see that, right? I don't think people's actions are governed primarily by their opinions. People's actions are governed by a situation. So I don't think we are significantly reducing uh, violence and division in this country by restricting opinion. Biden is a boring center-left Democrat. The far-left lunatics like AOC have no impact over anything. Yeah. And so who could be the Democratic candidate in 2024? Because I, I don't think anyone but Biden could win in 2024. I think it's looking very good for Republicans this midterms and looking very good for Republicans in 2024. Look, I'm depressed. Even though Albanese is an old boy of my school, Christian Brothers, St. Mary's Cathedral, he turned socialist communist. Yeah, but he ran a very pragmatic campaign. He announced he's not woke. The policies of the Labour government hardly differ at all from the policies of the Conservative coalition. I just don't see any reason for you to be depressed. It's not going to make any difference in your life. All right, for, for your real life, it hasn't made any difference whether Biden or Trump was in power. It's not going to, I don't see how it's going to make much of a difference for your average Australian, whether Scott Morrison or Anthony Albanese is the prime minister. Now for political mavens, for whom you know, politics is adrenaline rush and it's a source of excitement, then if your guy doesn't win, there can be an absolute crash. But as far as significance, Australia, I don't see Australia moving significantly to the left. Yeah, if you get depressed about elections, then you need to get help, except temporarily, right? Except temporarily. If you care about politics, I, I care about politics, and you feel depressed for a day or two or three or a week, I think that's a perfectly normal, natural reaction, right? If you lose a girlfriend, let's say you've had a girlfriend for six months and you break up with her, it makes sense to mope about it and feel sad about it and complain about it for a few weeks. But if you're still doing it a year later, then obviously there's something wrong. So anytime you have a significant loss, and if you're heavily invested in politics, right, and your, your party loses, that's a significant loss. If you lose a girlfriend, if you lose status, prestige, you lose a community, you lose friends, you lose a job, uh, you lose out on an opportunity, no more natural reaction is to, is to feel sad. Judah says, I wasted seed twice a day. Judas, and to think I was going to send you a text and say, oh, you want to meet up at UCLA and go for a walkabout. But bro, I, people don't want to hear of publicly about the, the wasting of seed. <laughs> oh, four times total this weekend. Okay, Judas, and to think, I was just about to say, Judas, we should meet up at UCLA, go on a walkabout. And uh, I don't know, it's just, well, no, if I meet up with Judas, he'll tell me about how many times he's wasted seed recently. And uh, I think I'm just going to, going to pass on that. I think I'd rather walk around UCLA on my own and uh, listen to Thomas Hobbes. So yeah, Hobbes says if we, if the government control people's opinion, then they can control their behavior. And so with ever increasing restrictive speech codes in America, like various parts of America are trying to restrict our publicly stated opinions, but is that really 
going to restrict people's actions. And I'm not sure. That's, uh, that's, that's my open question. If you restrict people's opinions, do you really restrict their actions? Like if you restrict what can be preached from the pulpit, if you can restrict what, what text they can read, if you restrict what people can surf on the internet, do you really restrict their behavior? So I'm at UCLA, bro. I'm on Bruin Walk. So I was listening to Mickey Kaus on Friday, and he, he made the argument that Republicans, and, and nobody should mention the Great Replacement, let alone push the Great Replacement, because it's a conspiracy theory that leads people to violent behavior. And I was thinking about it, and I don't push the, the Great Replacement. It's not, it's not language that I use. I don't think it's useful. I think if you want to be accurate, you could call it the Great Dilution, if you, if you want to talk about it, but obviously the Great Dilution is not nearly as compelling as the Great Replacement. But just because you've got a hot-button issue that causes people to commit criminal violence, does that then mean that you should not use that rhetoric in public? I think it's a serious question. I, I don't use the Great Replacement rhetoric. It's not how I see reality. And I do think if people are going out and committing criminal violence, using certain rhetoric that that should have a discouraging effect on one for using the same rhetoric but it doesn't mean that you can't talk about those hot button issues i really liked tucker carlson's response so i'm glad that tucker carlson was not intimidated so take the hot button issue of abortion right people sometimes go out god forbid and kill abortion doctors and i think that's a natural consequence of the conservative argument that abortion is murder like if you really believe that abortion is murder then you know going out and killing people who commit murder god forbid is still rational but 99% of people who argue that abortion is murder they don't actually believe it but a tiny percentage of people do and then they go out and they commit they commit murder and a lot a lot of abortion doctors are absolutely afraid because they do get targeted because abortions become such a hot-button issue but the reason abortions a hot-button issue in America is not really because of abortion right there's no inherent reason for, for Christians and trads to be up in arms about abortion abortion is a way of talking about race without talking about race so because uh, conservatives can't explicitly campaign uh, pitching to, to white people they, they, they look for an issue that would unite the right. It would unite Protestants, Catholics, Evangelicals, Traditionalists, and this anti-elite, anti-sexual freedom, you know, anti-excess argument of, of uh, pro-life is a way for conservatives to unite. But just because people are talking about abortion doesn't really mean that abortion is what's really going on. It's just, it's just a way to talk about race in disguise, a way that's socially acceptable. But some people don't get that, all right? Most people don't get that. Most people think that abortion's a hot button issue uh, because it, it's really all about abortion and it's, it's a matter of, of life and death. And those people who don't get it, you know, some of them become dangerous and they become violent. 
but because there are awful people out there who are you know, committing criminal acts against abortion providers, does that mean we should not talk about abortion, that we should not have hot-button debates on abortion, that uh, people should not be allowed to say that abortion is murder, that social media companies should forbid anyone making the argument that abortion is murder? No, obviously that's ridiculous to restrict political speech that way. So too, I think it's ridiculous to restrict speech about the Great Replacement that way, even though I don't believe in the Great Replacement. So I noticed that Facebook has forbidden its employees from uh, talking about abortion at work. So yeah, you really don't want to be hitting hot button issues at work, right? Don't, don't get, go talking about hot button controversial issues like abortion, like politics, like sex and religion at work or with people you don't know because it can just often lead to incendiary responses that you're not going to like. So, you know, I'm morally pro-life. I think in the overwhelming majority of cases, 95%, 98% of cases of abortion, it is immoral to have an abortion. On the other hand, I don't want to make it illegal. It's not an issue that I think about that much. But uh, I agree with Dennis Prager that, that morally and emotionally, I'm on the side of the pro-life crowd and uh, legally, I'm on the side of the pro-choice crowd. And I also agree that Roe v. Wade was terrible, terrible law, and uh, whether or not abortion is legal should be in the hands of the state. Should be in the hands of the states, meaning in the hands of the citizens who get to vote for, for their representatives who can then vote whether or not they want, they want to make uh, abortion legal. So if you're against what seems to be this current, current coming U.S. Supreme Court decision reversing Roe v. Wade, you are against democracy because reversing Roe v. Wade will increase democracy and I think it will increase I think it will increase democratic participation. Right? The, the Democratic Party should get more voters. It should be good for the, for the Democrats politically. Okay, going back to listening to Thomas Hobbes. Bye-bye.